Have you ever thought this to yourself before? I have a lot of things to work on. <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, we all should probably laugh about that one, right? Or there are a lot of things in my life that I need to change. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're never introspective and you just say, I am who I am and I ain't never going to change and y'all just going to have to live with it. Now, a little side note, if you're single and you ever date somebody who says that to you, just move on, all right? <laughs> just move along. Because if you decide to go with that relationship, that's what you're going to get forever and ever and ever, all right? Wherever it is right there, it's never going to change. What, what we want to be is people who are growing and changing people. One of the characteristics about my wife, and I, I prayed that was about me too when we came into our marriage, was that we were both people that wanted to be different people in the future. That we wanted to grow and change. Now, Rock Hill and our members' covenant and what we commit to, to doing as a part of this body is that very thing. And so let me just read part of our member covenant that, that we agree to. When we say we want to be a part of this body, we're saying that we'll be lifelong learners. This is what we actually say. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me. I believe I will never arrive in my pursuit of Christ-likeness. Nevertheless, I want to mature and make progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. Therefore, I commit to seeking continual growth through God's means of grace and a humble confidence that Jesus will make me more like himself. These means of grace include prayer, reading, and meditating on scripture, spiritual friendships, church discipline should the need arise, repenting of sin, fasting, and trusting God. Really what we're saying here is that, being, that we are to be lifelong growers, okay? I know that's probably not the best way of use language, but being a lifelong grower, that's what that passage, or that's what that statement is really talking about. And in this passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about that. And so our starting point this morning is being able to, to be humble enough to, to realize and to say there are areas in my life in which I need to grow spiritually, and that this spiritual growth is a lifelong journey. It's not something we ever arrive in. I remember talking to a man who was almost 80, had been following Jesus since he was 10. Well, you know what he said to me one day? He said, one of the greatest regrets I have is that I'm not more like Jesus than I am after all these years of following him. I just thought he had this humble understanding of the fact that he needed to have a lifelong journey. And, and he was becoming more like Christ, but never to what he had hoped for, never to what sometimes we think man, if I could just be like Jesus. We're growing to be like Jesus, but it's a lifelong journey, and there's setbacks, and there's movement forward, movement back. So what we want to do is, is, in this passage, take a look at what it is that we're supposed to focus on. So if I realize I need to be a lifelong learner, do I just randomly pick whatever I think I want to work on? Sometimes we do that, right? I want to work on something, but I'm going to pick the easiest thing I can pick, and God might be wanting to work on some other area in our life. And what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that this growth that God wants to see in our lives, he'll tell us what it is. It's not a mystery. We can know from the scriptures what it is that God wants to be doing in our lives and what this growth should look like. So, remember our context before I read our passage this morning. First Thessalonians, Paul goes there, starts this little church, and then because of persecution has to leave. This church is about a month old when he leaves. They're a little baby church. And then Paul is writing a letter back to them about what, he, what he's hearing about the good things that are happening in this church. And then he's now getting into some of the things that he didn't get a chance to talk to them about when he was there in person. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. 
For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. So what we do here at Rock Hill is we just dive in and we just take these verses and we kind of unpack them a little bit. And at the end, we hopefully we'll come with some kind of conclusion about how we can apply these to our lives. So let's look at verses 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? He's saying we have been thankful to God for what we hear about what God's doing in you as a church. And you've brought us great joy. And we talked about that last week a little bit. You brought us great joy when we heard that our work was not in vain, that you had come to faith, a church had grown, and that church was impacting the community around them. And he says, the joy that we feel for your sake before God. We've been so joyful before the Lord saying, man, what they've been doing there, we're thankful, God, that you're doing this work in the life of this church in Thessalonica. And then it says, and we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. This is the fifth time that he's mentioned their faith. Fifth time in the first three chapters. He's concerned with what they believe. Remember, baby church, he's preached for only a little while. He left them there on their own. It was all the Holy Spirit after that doing a work in their lives. And he's concerned with what they believe. And he's concerned with what they understand. Not only what they believe, but the little bit of knowledge that they had. And so five times he mentions that he's concerned with their faith. But this is a really important point turning point for the whole book is right here where he says supply what is lacking in your faith what they are lacking that's the question what is it that they're lacking in their faith in that short bit of time that he was there he gave them a lot but not everything what's lacking the rest of the book is going to cover that so in the coming weeks he's going to talk about some moral issues and some moral conduct and so what's lacking in their faith is some understanding of some issues of morality There's disciplinary issues that he's going to talk about. And finally, he's going to talk about the doctrine of the return of Christ. One of the things that he wants to talk to them about is the fact that Christ is going to return. So that's what's lacking in their faith, and that's what he wants to talk about throughout this book, and that's what he's going to send Timothy there to talk to them about. And this is how he starts out. He says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. If you remember from the last couple of weeks, Paul is being blocked, and in fact, in chapter 2, verse 18, he states that Satan has hindered him from being able to come and see the Thessalonians. Satan has blocked him in some way. We don't know how, but some way Satan has blocked him. And he's stating now that they're praying that God and, and Christ together would do a mighty work so that that block would get out of the way and that they'd be able to see them face to face. Now, remember what we talked about last week is that the Apostle Paul was saying that it's really awesome that because of the unity we have in Christ, that we, when even we're far apart, we're united. But he still says it's still better if we could see each other face to face. And that's an important theme coming out of COVID, right? You've heard us talking about that, and that's an important issue that we've all wrestled with in COVID, where we felt isolated, and yet we could stay connected. How many remember? It seems like a long time ago. But when COVID first started, what did we do as a church? 
we were live streaming, right? Pastor Kyle would preach over at the Lincoln Park campus. The worship team would come and even lead us in worship. But the auditorium was empty. I know because I preached there a couple times. And it's a different deal when you're preaching there and it's completely empty, right? We were able to stay connected, but man, did we want to get back together, didn't we? And we're feeling that now, right? Does anybody run into this? I, I was, a while back, I went to the Mall of America. And I walked into the Mall of America and I was like, whoa. And I've been to the Mall of America a lot of times because we used to live down there. And I walked in and I was like, I haven't been around this many people in this kind of space in a long time. It was a strange experience, and maybe you've run into that. And I've talked to other people who've run into that. There's a a lot of things that have changed, and we've gone now from being able to just connect long distance to being back face-to-face. And Paul is saying, man, I'm glad we're united in Christ, but I would love to see you face-to-face. And he's praying, he's saying, Lord, would you make it possible that we could get back to see this little church. And then he says these powerful things in verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. He says, Lord, make, may the Lord make you do this. Here's the thing this morning. The Holy Spirit in you will do this. What Paul is telling them and praying for, that the Lord might increase, that that they might increase and abound in love. He's saying, may the Lord make you, because he knows one thing about human nature, that the Holy Spirit has to do this. Listen, you don't have it in you naturally to love like this. I don't have it in me naturally. Sometimes we think we do. Sometimes we think we're pretty good people, and yeah, I, I can increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Yikes, that's getting a little broader. Everybody, including Packer fans? No, no, I'm married to a Packer fan, so can't say that. You know, <laughs> all means all. And here's the other thing, I don't have it in me, and people aren't all that lovable either sometimes, are they? So it can't be what's in me that will cause me to love and that love to abound, and it can't be what's in others that will make me them more lovable. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And so when you see a group of people like this where we love one another and care for one another, it's not because we're such a great group of people or it's not because we're such likable people. It's because the Holy Spirit of the living God is at work and has changed people like you and me so that we can love one another. I'm going to make a really bold statement this morning. Um, When I used to work at Northwestern College, I preached in chapel every week, so students got used to this. Every message that I preached, I would close with this. I would say, what major you're supposed to have, I can't tell you that. Because in college, what's everybody trying to figure out? What's God's will for their life? This is a Christian college. What is God's will for my life, and what major should I have? And we call these the secret wills of God, the, the things that aren't revealed in Scripture. Then they would ask, what career should I have? I'm trying to figure out. What job should I have in the future? And then, of course, the big question they would ask is what? Who am I supposed to marry? (laughs) Who does God want me to marry? And they would spend an awful lot of time on those issues and wrestling with those issues and asking questions. And I loved being able to counsel and disciple them during those questions. But I would always remind them there's something even bigger than that. And it's what is the will of God that he's clearly revealed in his word. And I can boldly, as a preacher, tell you what God's will is for your life. All right? Here's God's will for your life. It is God's will for your life that you would increase and abound in love for others. That's what God wants to see in your life. 
while you're trying to figure out all, a lot of other things in life, which God wants to help you figure out, he's clearly revealed in his word that this is what he wants to see in all of his children, that they would increase and abound in love for others. Listen to John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have super sound doctrine, if you have a long list of rules and regulations that you follow, no, it says they'll know you're my disciples when you love one another. Abounding in love, increasing in love. And then Jesus gets to meddling in Matthew 5, 44, when he says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, that's why this is a supernatural kind of love. That's why Paul says, may the Lord make you increase. Because you're not going to increase in loving your enemy. You're not going to abound in love for others without the help of the Holy Spirit. But it is God's will for every disciple of Jesus to increase and abound in love for others. Not just brothers and sisters in Christ. He says one another there, but then he makes this little turn and he says for all. Abound in love for one another and for all, just like, Paul says, we did for you. Just like we loved you when we first came to Thessalonica, you were not brothers and sisters in Christ. You were people that were following in their context, false gods, worshiping idols, doing all kinds of stuff. And he says, but we loved you. And then now we've become brothers and sisters in Christ. But I was just humbled and struck this week as I was working on this message as God was reminding me that his will for my life is that I would increase and abound in love for others. Not very negotiable, just plain out clear. This is his will for us. And then he says this interesting thing in verse 13, the beginning of verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Now watch what Paul is saying here. And if you've lost me, this is the time to come back because this is really a, kind of a powerful connection here between these two parts of the passage. This is what he's saying. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for others, just like we loved you, so that your hearts are established blameless in holiness. He's saying that part of growing in holiness is growing in love for others. To me, that was really a profound remembrance this week as I was you know, studying this passage going, wow, he's putting those two things together. Sometimes what can happen when it comes to our understanding of holiness is that we rightly see it as obedience to God's commands and to what God has said, right? But we wrongly take out, even without realizing it, that loving others is a crucial command of holiness. L listen, this really struck me this week. My heart cannot be established blameless and in holiness before God if I do not love others. Let me say that again. My heart cannot be established blameless and in holiness before God if I do not love others. If I don't love others in the body of Christ, if I don't love others outside of the faith, if I don't love my enemies, I'm not walking in holiness. That's really pretty profound when you stop and wrestle with it a little bit. Because I want to walk in holiness and sometimes I struggle with love. <laughs> especially enemies. Especially those Paul is going to be talking about in, Thess in First Thessalonians. People who are, who are being persecuted. It's a church that's been persecuted and he's praying that they would abound in love for all, including those who persecuted them. 
Now, this idea, establishing your heart's blameless and holiness, has some nuances to it as well. So, let's just step back for a second. What he wants to see them do is grow in their holiness, but he's saying that part is connected with loving one another. But now what else, or how should I understand what holiness is? Here's a couple of ways, and here's the nuances of holiness. Holiness is essentially the idea of being set apart. The idea behind holiness, and I'm going to read from a, a, a bit from a commentator that I thought put it really well. The idea behind holiness is to be set apart from the world and unto God. The genuinely holy person is separated away from the domination of sin and self and the world, and they are separated to God. So on the one hand, when it comes to faith in Jesus and those who, who, who are living it out and trying to live it out, we always have to remember that Jesus is the only one who lived out holiness perfectly, right? So on the one hand, we put our faith in the one who perfectly lived out holiness, and when we do that, we've been made holy, set apart for God, and no longer have to fear the judgment that comes against unholiness. Listen to this. If you have put your faith in Jesus, and I always say I'm a preacher of good news, so you've got to hear the good news this morning. If you have put your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross, you are now eternally blameless, holy, set apart before God. So on the one hand, I'm set apart before God, justified by the judge saying, not guilty. On the other hand, on this side of heaven, while we wait for Christ's return, which is part of what this book is about, we are in a constant battle with our old nature and the flesh and Satan and the world. And we're being set apart, or we call it sanctified. We're growing in our daily experience of being blameless and holy and set apart. And through the help of the Spirit, we're becoming more holy and blameless and set apart for Christ in our daily living, and we're being transformed. Our, our conduct and our attitudes and our thoughts and the way we interact with the world are being changed. And so, on the one hand, I've been declared holy, and I stand before God not fearing that I have to face eternal judgment for my sin and for my unholiness. On the other hand, I live in a world where I seem to still battle it on this side of heaven. And we know that we're not blameless as we wrestle on this side of heaven. Now, the question becomes, how do I know what blamelessness and holiness even is? Where do I get that information? I say big words like be blameless and holy, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what is that? The good news is God tells us what that is. He tells us in his word. So whatever we think it means sometimes is what we do. I think this is what holiness looks like. I think this is what it means. This is what blamelessness means. And what we do sometimes, you guys, is we live out our lives over here just creating this stuff in our own thoughts and our own ideas and our own way we want to do it. Instead of going, God has told us. He told us in his scriptures. He told us in his commandments. He helps us with the help of the Holy Spirit. We can look at how we're supposed to imitate Christ and get that picture of what blamelessness and holiness looks like. See, here's, here's the good news in this. On the one hand, I'm standing before God, declared holy. On this side, I feel, wow, man, I'm always struggling. But God is at work making me more and more holy in my actions and my conduct and my thought and my spirit and how I see the world. And what that is is being obedient to the scriptures, 
following his commands, walking in the spirit, seeing the world like Christ sees the world. So he didn't say just do these things and figure out what blamelessness and holiness looks like. No, we know. Go to the scriptures and find out. See what he's calling us to do. Listen to the spirit as it's revealing things to us through his word. And then look at Christ himself. He's my ultimate one that I'm supposed to imitate. So he's praying and hoping that they'd be established and that they would grow in their holiness, grow in their blamelessness, that they would have the the spirit and the tools, meaning the word, instruction from the apostles, that they would have enough information so that with the spirit could help them change and be transformed into the image of Jesus. And the cool thing about the church in Thessalonica, it was happening. And the report had gotten back to Paul that the Holy Spirit of the living God had changed this group of people that Paul knew for a month. Remember, they didn't have the written New Testament. They maybe had the Old Testament and the Spirit of God and the short bit of teaching that Paul had, and God was doing great transforming work. So he wants to do this kind of work in the life of all of his churches, the lives of all of his churches, And Paul is telling them this great picture. What is lacking in your faith, and what I'm most concerned about is that you'd be established in your hearts, blameless and holy before the Father, that you'd be growing in love for one another and growing in love for all. It didn't have a ton to say about correct doctrine, although I'm big on doctrine, don't get me wrong. You want to talk about doctrine? I'm there. I talk all day long. Because I think it's important. But what he's saying is he wants to see transformed hearts that look like Jesus. Think like Jesus too. And understand the world like Jesus. That's doctrine. But also have compassion and care and love like Jesus. A love for all. And then here's where the hope, you might be going, where's the hope in this passage? It's at the end of verse 13. So that all this at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. That they would grow in all of this because the Lord Jesus is coming back. That, that all of this would be happening so that at the coming of the Lord Jesus, they would be found blameless and holy and loving one another. This is where they were to find hope. And the whole book revolves around this hope. The hope that we have that Christ is actually going to come back and he's going to return. I, I got good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? That's good news. And what he wants me to do in that, while I'm waiting for that, is part of what 1 Thessalonians is all about. He's coming back. And that hope, that should motivate us to grow in love for one another. And that hope should motivate us to desire to walk blameless and in holiness. Let me say that one more time. That hope that he's coming back should motivate us to grow in love for one another and to grow in a desire to walk blameless and in holiness. What do you do with all of this? What difference does this make for us right here, right now? Here's a couple things I'd like you to think about. Here's my prayer that you might seek through prayer, through studying God's word, and through the help of the spirit, and through the fellowship and support of other disciples. Okay, let's say that again. Through prayer, through the study of God's word, through the Holy Spirit working, and through the fellowship and the support that we get from one another, 
that we would grow in whatever is lacking in our faith. It is my desire, just like the Apostle Paul's here, I think, is that everybody in this room, and Jesus, I think, desires this too, that everybody in this room would grow in whatever is lacking in our faith. I don't know what that is for each of you, but through the prayer, through study of God's word, through the help of the Spirit, and through others coming alongside you, I hope that you would come to see what is lacking in your faith. With all of that happening again, it's my hope and prayer that you would grow in love for one another and for all. I, I pray and, and I see this in this church and I want to see it continue to grow, that it be a church that people love one another and love people that are outside of this church, that we are characterized by love and the great care for one another that only the spirit of the living God can do because that's why people are attracted to when the Spirit of Christ is really working in people's lives and people love one another, people go, that's not natural. That's really strange. Because you just sat down and tried to work something out with somebody. Why did you do that? Why are you trying so hard to be unified? Why are you trying so hard to be a body, a family, a fellowship? Because that's what the Spirit does. So it's my prayer, my hope, that we would grow in love for one another. It's also that through prayer and through study and through the Spirit and through fellowship that the Holy Spirit would help us to grow in holiness. We do want to be a people who are set apart. We do want to be a people that are characterized by holiness. A living that says, this is what God says, and I'm going to try to live as God says I should live. And part of that holiness is loving one another. And so loving one another, walking in holiness, and finally that I would grow in hope. It's my prayer, my hope today, that you would grow in hope. That you and I would be people of hope where we say, hey, of all people in the world, we should have the greatest of hope. Sometimes, i gotta, I got to be honest with you, and I've been in the church my whole life, sometimes people in the church are the ones that can get the most discouraged because they look around at the world and they say, man, it doesn't look a lot like Jesus. We of all people are the ones that are supposed to have hope because we know that there is a God who reigns over the whole universe who sent his son and sent his spirit and real lives are changed. And sometimes we forget the change that's happened in our own life, right? That of all places should be the place that we go, oh yeah, that's right. I should have some hope because look what God could do. He took us and changed us and we look more like Jesus than we used to. So that's my hope today, that's my prayer today, that's what I hope to see come from this message, that you might seek through prayer and through studying God's word, through the help of the Spirit and the fellowship and support of others, that you would grow in whatever is lacking in your faith, that you would grow in love for one another and for all, that you would grow in holiness and that you would grow in hope. And one other really practical thing, and you're going to hear me talk a lot about this in the next number of months, because I've just been feeling really passionate about this. I'm going to call you to pray for those in your city group that they would grow in love and holiness and hope. That the things we talk about here, that we would turn those into prayer items and that we wouldn't pray just generally, but that we would pray specifically for actual names of people. Sometimes we do this, right? Uh, Lord, would you be, please be with the youth group? Great, we can pray that. Lord, would you please be with my city group? We can pray that. But guess what? I do know everybody's name in my city group, Right? <laughs> I could stop and pray specifically for each one. I've been praying that people in my city group would have opportunity to have gospel conversations. 
Today, I'm going to encourage you to have those kinds of prayers for the people in your city group. Pray that they would grow in love. Pray that they would grow in holiness. Pray that they would grow in hope. By name, specifically, Because sometimes what we do is when we pray, we pray for good things. We pray for people's healing. We pray for people's job situations. We pray for life circumstances. But sometimes we forget to pray that God would do a work in a life that would continue to change us into the image of Jesus so that we could be those who bring the gospel around the world, around our city, around our neighborhood, around our workplace. So my city group knows I do that. They're like, come on now, <laughs> bring it down a little bit. <laughs> Some of you, they're not here today, so I can say, I had one person say, yeah, you prayed that. And I had two conversations at work that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> and so, but praying in these kinds of ways that God would do this. You know what Paul was concerned about for his church in Thessalonica? This. This is what he prayed for. So let's close with this. Let's go back to where we started Something that we believe as a church is from the Bible, and we believe that it's important for our discipleship. Let me read it again to you. A learner. I believe I will never arrive in my pursuit of Christ-likeness. Nevertheless, I want to mature and make progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. Therefore, I commit to seeking continual growth through God's means of grace in a humble confidence that Jesus will make me more like himself. These means of grace include prayer, reading, meditating on scripture, spiritual friendships, church discipline should that arise, repenting of sin, fasting and trusting God. And I believe when we do all of that, we will then grow in holiness and hope and in love. And God will be glorified. God will be glorified in our lives and through our lives. So I invite you to that good news today. Good news that Jesus wants you to grow in love. He wants you to grow in holiness. He wants you to grow in hope. And the best part of the news is that he's going to do that work. All you got to do is let the Holy Spirit do the work in your life and use these means of grace that he's given you to do that work.